Some would say that there is an AI startup for almost anything, and that's probably true. But one industry that really needs it is media and fake news. Dhruv Gowati is the founder and CEO of Factmata, an AI startup aiming to restore trust in news media. He started Factmata in 2016 as a university project, and the company has already been backed by world-class investors like Mark Cuban and Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist. Can you imagine that? Here is where Dhruv is taking Factmata next. Welcome to The Product Show, 20-minute interviews with founders and product makers sharing how they hacked early growth. Hi, Dhruv. Great to have you on The Product Show. Yeah, you too. Thanks for inviting me. Great. Um, first, before we um, kick off, I just want to say how excited I am about our conversation. I come from a journalistic background and 10 years ago, fact-checking was the most dreadful and time-consuming part of my job. So if someone had told me back then that a product like Fact Matter would exist, I would have been very excited. Um, so in 2020, when uh, Trust in Media and social media is declining so rapidly. It is amazing to have an AI product in the content space. So just tell us how you started. How did you come up with the idea and what's the story of Fact Matter so far? Yeah, um, the story is I, I basically was, um, you know, back in 2015, 2016, I was writing, a, I went to UCL, University College London, and I was working in the natural language processing lab and I was thinking about, you know, interesting applications of natural language processing. And, and one of them was, was automated fact checking. Um, the reason it's, it's quite interesting is that it's, it requires human reasoning to be able to do fact checking. You need to be able to not just look at the text that you're looking at, but actually find evidence from outside of that text that might, might form evidence for your reasoning and your fact check and your argumentation. So it's a really hard problem. Uh, it fascinated me as a problem and, 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 being able to apply it to a social good context in terms of kind of checking what politician says and making sure that there is some, um, let's say, protection for the ordinary citizen, um, to me, it seemed like a really exciting thing to do. Um, and really, Fact Matter was a, grew out of that thesis um, and then has evolved to be, let's say, the, the business um, conception of, of what, you know, where you could take that, that research. Um, and bring it to, to, to uh, a new media platform of the future. Okay, so it started as a university project. That's very interesting yeah. how far you have come. So you were in Techstars in 2015 and uh, Entrepreneur First in 2016. Were they good uh, bootcamps for becoming a successful entrepreneur? How much did you learn there? Yeah, I, I think they are definitely very, very good. I think um, bootcamps are very good at the early stage. So they're very good at you know, telling you the tips and tricks as to, to how to get something up and running, whether that's getting early traction, understanding um, how to best speak to your customers and, and find those quick wins, as, um, thinking about how to prioritize features, thinking about how to delight customers, thinking about product market fit. Those are the things that, that accelerators are very good at, at doing, especially when, when people don't have that natural skill set and background. And I basically use those two experiences to... Um, it definitely accelerated me and be able to launch Fact Matter without any support myself because I knew those those techniques to uh, to be able to to rely on. 
And when you were starting, what was your go-to-market strategy? How did you acquire your first customers? Uh, when we were starting Fact Matter, we, we had this real platform-focused approach, which was essentially, let's first build a system that can can scale um, and, and, and uh, is able to, to essentially take in a customer's data um, and score it and, and uh, find, let's say, hate speech or fake news within it and give it back to them. So I guess our go-to-market strategy was relying um, very much on, on expert consultants who knew our customers and had relationships with them uh, because we were going into it in a space which I certainly didn't have any experience. I'm talking about advertising technology, ad tech. So we would find some ad tech consultants, they would go and bring out, um, get, us, get us those first trials. What we then did was was essentially that the trials were exactly the same. Um, you know. The customer will give you some content, some URLs. You would then go score them and say, which percentage of those URLs did you think contain propaganda? But then we came up with a really templated version, which is essentially, even if we did one trial, you could argue that um, you know, the customer should be happy. They've seen a case study from another trial. They should just, just not bother. But every single customer wants to see if it works on their own data. Um, and so... We had to go through lots of these different trials, but what we did, we just had a very template report that we would give out to people um, that had all the key questions we knew that, that, that they'd want to get answered. Uh, accuracy rates, sample things that we picked up, um, uh, feature developments, um, some ads that had been placed on, 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 on content that, that had propaganda that we found in the network. So that was our kind of go-to-market strategy, which was like creating, let's say, pre-sales reports. Okay, and at the moment, what is your typical target audience in terms of customers? Is it mainly publishers, PR companies? Who are they? Yeah, that's been a journey to kind of figure that out. I think uh, our, our key customers are, are PR agencies uh, and brands that, that have communications needs. So, and that's really evolved from where it was at the beginning, which is basically ad exchanges, ad networks. So instead of tapping up, let's say, a, an app Nexus, um, we would be tacking up like a L'Oreal or something like this. Um, um, really big brands that have constant opinions spreading about them, constant rumors starting, and they need to, they will actually lose market share and revenues if they're not able to manage the narrative. That, that's kind of how we... So, fake news. Let's talk about fake news. Tell us about the main... Uh, signals your system is monitoring. I'm pretty sure it's, it's much more complex than uh, just answering in uh, one question, but I'm just very curious, how do you start? Where do you start from? How do you identify this is fake news? Yeah, so I think the key thing to, that we started off by, by you know, this, this process is saying, as a startup you know, with, with limited resources at the beginning, what is the quickest win that we can have with the product that adds value. And I remember this anecdote from one of our investors uh, who built Brightmail that when when he built, the, which is an email spam company, uh, when he built the first email spam algorithm, it was operating at about 40% accuracy. Um, but it was the best out there in the market. And so it was good enough to get clients and deals and then improvements and iterations later on. So um, our strategy has been, let's build be what's better than out there in the market. Um, and then not get too um, hecked up about perfection and, and accuracy. Let's let's get into the client, work with them, 
and use the training data and the feedback that they're giving us to improve the algorithms. So uh, in short, you know, the way that we thought about detecting fake news is essentially a signaling mechanism to a human analyst. So can we give them lots of different signals and, and the more the better um, so that they can actually analyze and see for themselves, this is actually a fake piece of news, but it's they've got signals for them to be able to filter to the maybe the 10 potential items. So that might be, is the language propaganda? Is the language racist? Is it a clickbait title? Is the language non-objective? Is the language, um, uh, you know, does it contain hate speech? Um, is the language controversial? So we have about now about 10 different signals. And remember, it's actually purely based on the language. Um, and that's actually some, somewhat of a unique thing because actually you can detect fake news not using the linguistic character of the, of the text. You can look at spread patterns and who's spread the, the content and so on. But as a company strategy, we just thought actually, because we started off with natural language processing, let's become the best in the world at that and let other people build other things that we can tack on and partner with. And that's how we've basically taken it on for, for, you know, for the last kind of three, four years. Saying that an article is right-wing or clickbait is a very subjective thing, isn't it? I mean, sometimes yes. it could be who's written it, sometimes it could be who is reading it, or sometimes it could be just bad writing. So how do you manage to stay impartial, especially when politics is involved? Have you ever been accused of uh, being uh, politically biased? No, we, we, we actually haven't been accused of being politically biased. Uh, we have uh, competitors who definitely have. Um, and that's because those competitors are actually using human beings to rate articles. Uh, so human beings to rate websites. Um, now, we actually don't have any human beings in a way. Um, and But our algorithm, certainly, you can argue, has a bias. Um, and that's because the people train that algorithm, right? Um, but the way that we kind of combat our bias is say, first of all, we're not rating a website based on its history, the age of the website, you know, the, the author, um, the person who wrote it, you know, when they wrote it, like what topic's about. We don't really care about that at all. Um, and that's why I told you we only focus on the language. All we're saying is that everyone should be judged fairly purely in what they write, not who they are, not webs what, what publication they work for, uh, not what country they're at. And that's why even though you can build a really accurate algorithm, you don't want to actually do that. You actually you can sacrifice a little bit of accuracy for being fairer and saying, look, the language of this is written in a very impartial way. Um, and the way that we trained the algorithm is we had journalists from about, about 12 different countries, about 50 of them go and rate different articles. For, 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 and we actually don't do left-leaning or right-leaning. We, we purely do, uh, is this propagandist? Is this hyper-partisan? So is this extremely one-sided? or gender-driven or hyper-partisan as an article. It's a binary classifier rather than left-wing or right-wing. Because even politically, even any person, left-wing or right-wing differs in different countries. Um, uh, that's a purely political decision. Uh, it's purely putting yourself into a different camp. Whereas something like saying, you have said something that's very politically biased, uh, it's really biased one side or the other, is, is much easier. How do you currently identify opportunities for building new features or 
adding new functionalities uh, to your system. Do you rely on your gut instinct? Do you have a system or do you work closely with your partners and they told you that's what we need? Can you build it? Yeah, it's it's. I'd say one of the things, I mean, I was a product person before building the company and, and one of the things that I'd say sometimes I, I do have a bit of a contrarian view on product management because when we were building the business and we said, hey, we're going to tackle fake news, um, implicitly you are actually taking a estimate, an educated bet that people want to tackle fake news. And, and so this is the, the, the strangest company because you would think that, look, everyone wants to detect misinformation and wouldn't it be great to have something that just checks, as you, you said at the beginning of the interview, that checks your articles and tells you if something is correct or not. The challenge is, is like, um, A, that's going to take you many, many years to build. Um, and then you've got to say, well, would you pay for it? And um, the problem in this sector is like the technology is so hard. Um, uh, and you also cannot get upfront commitments from people because they will say, look, of course I'll buy that product when it's ready. So um so I think the challenge in this in, in product management here is actually you do need to have some innovation and you have to have some ideas of your own on where you think the market's going to head. What what product features can be needed by these customers in the future? I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So um, four years ago when I was setting up a business, I said, we are going to have to just look at URLs and content and tell you um, if the content's... Um, you know, bias, let's say, hyper-partisan. It's really politically biased. We want to remove that content. Um, now, a lot of people were saying at that time, some of our competitors were saying, actually, you know what, let's just build lists of websites and we'll rate them and we'll give these lists to these people. Those competitors, great. They got some deals and they got some, some, some kind of uh, traction there. But what, what, what I knew was going to happen is that the ad tech world or the internet operates at scale. So just giving people a list of websites will go out of date naturally. And so I guess we had to build something that was a little bit harder, which is like analyzing an article for its complexities around bias, because I knew that at some point, those customers that we're selling to will say, actually, we've got the short term solution, but we actually need something that scales now. And then we're ready to pounce. So I think those are those things where you have to be willing to give up a bit of early revenue knowing where the market's heading uh, in the product. And from your experience so far, what do you think is the aha moment for Fact Matter? When we first started the business about 2017, it was more of a social issue. Governments were talking about it. There was some interest, but there was no real budget to sign. So, but our sales strategy was probably wrong. Go-to-market strategy was wrong because we were asking these customers, hey, give us your content. We'll, we'll then score it and we'll find something and then Hopefully you'll like it. Um, but we had to get NDAs for the data. We had to get them to prepare a data sample. They didn't know where to get it from. You know, it's a lot of uh, friction in the process. Our main aha moment was saying, look, why do we have to wait for these customers to give us their content? Let's just scrape and crawl the internet every day and find things and create reports. Like even when customers don't want them, we just, we just show them, show it to them. And then suddenly they get amazed that they could find some fake news about them or they could find a narrative that's evolving that they never knew about. Um, and then, you know, we're ready to get get them to get the credits cards out and sort of sign up for, for 
for a full, full license. You have an impressive lineup of investors. Just tell us how you did it. So we've got Mark Cuban, we've got Biston, co-founder of Twitter, Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist. So how did you do it? What's your secret? Was it just fact? All of my, my investors came on in, in cold emails. Um, so I, I basically email a lot of people. I message them. I annoy them. And occasionally, um, yeah, people generally, and that's been so humbling for me as a, as a kind of new first-time company founder, um, with a big goal for, for my business is, is, you know, people are very, very helpful on the internet. Um, if you have something to say, if you work hard at it and you're building expertise in a certain topic, um, it's very surprising that actually, you know, instead of having an imposter syndrome, there aren't that many people who may have the expertise in a specific niche subject. And so I feel like uh, through Fat Matter and what we're building, we do have that, you know, we are like the top, one of the top companies in our space. Um, and so it was not too difficult for me to get a reply back from these these investors. Um, I think that's that's obviously as a business goes on, you know, there is a bit of structure to this. But I, my personal philosophy is that the world should operate in this way. Um, you shouldn't need to have, uh, you know, take take four or five people out for drinks and schmooze them, and you know, to to be able to get someone to care about what you do. Um, you should be able to reach out to them. If, it, if people don't like it, that's fine. Um, and we should be operating in an objective, factual way about anything. And that includes raising investment. Um, ease of access, transparency, being able to reach out to people uh, and be able to connect with them, I think is, is, is the philosophy that I've had in, in, in investment. What's your um, vision for the media industry and for the big publishers? Do you think that they will be relying more and more on AI? The media industry is is a real tough nut to crack. Um, like I said, there's there's a lot of things against it. You know, VCs don't want to invest in this space. Quite frankly, um, it's not like investing in SaaS software for financial, you know, QuickBooks management or something, um, or investing in Zoom. You know. So the media industry has has that issue where there's not as much funding dollars coming in. Post Facebook and Twitter, no investor thinks there's going to be any other new media company. They think it's just a dominating market monopoly. Um, um, and a lot of investors made a lot of money out of Facebook. So you know, there's an incentive to kind of keep that going, right? Um, num number three, um, journalism itself, you know, there is a pride in doing things in human ways uh, in that industry. Just the people who are the execs in those, those media companies, they want to do things in human ways. Um, I think what's what's my vision for the, for the media industry is that regulators are going to have to get involved to push some changes. That's going to mean that platforms are, are um, no longer monopolistic and they're able to get broken apart in some ways, or there's the news parts of their businesses are forced to have to compete. Um, I think the media industry is going to be a lot of um, individuals writing content rather than the New York Times or Guardian writing content. It's going to be us having blogs, podcasts, you know, shows uh, and project our own content. But in this world where everyone's a creator, uh, we're going to have, have to have way more quality control than we have. And I think that's where, and, and you know, Facebook has billions of dollars being spent on quality control. Um, but what about the wider internet and the long tail of the internet? 
someone's going to have to build a layer of infrastructure that does quality control and is able to kind of understand objectivity, understand quality, you know, moderate better. That's kind of what where I see fat matter as being that layer for the internet that everyone's using to when they create a new social network or they're creating a new news aggregator, fat matter's there and actually powering it. Brilliant. So thanks a lot. That's been a very interesting conversation. Uh, have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Desi. Thanks. Bye. The Product Show is brought to you by Pony, a design studio helping startups and scale-ups build and optimize their digital products at speed. Check pony.studio to learn more.